The following is a message from Charles Telfer at Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 760-480-8474, wscal.edu or call 760-480-8474. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we would rejoice in you and in your salvation. We thank you that there is a free forgiveness of all our trespasses from you. We thank you that it is you who cover our sins completely. We thank you that our deliverance is not self-produced, but that salvation is from first to last from the Lord. We ask that you would renew our faith. We ask that you would speak to us by your word, that it would lodge home by your spirit. Lord, we ask for encouragement, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remain standing briefly, if we might. I know you've been sitting all morning, so let's remain standing as we read God's word together from Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, considering verses 8 through 20. It's so beautiful. Let me begin our reading in verse 1. Our focus again will be on Galatians 4, 8 through 20, beginning to read in Galatians 4, 1. Hear the word of the Lord. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And our text now for today. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose, they want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Thus far, in God's holy word. May his blessing attend each of our hearts. Amen. Please be seated.
Brothers and sisters, dearly beloved by our Lord Jesus Christ, in this, past, in this passage, we're listening not so much to Paul, the great intellect, Paul, the impressive Old Testament scholar, Paul, the biblical theologian, but we're listening to Paul, the pastor, Paul, whose heart is bleeding for these, his people. And we hear here also the words the, we, we hear the, the concern of our pastor, our Lord Jesus Christ, for you and for me in these tender words. What the apostle is seeking to do in this passage is obvious at this late point in our studies here in uh, Galatians. He's trying to persuade these Galatian Christians not to go into Judaism, not to be persuaded by these people he mentions in verse 17, them. Those guys, don't do what they're telling you to do. Don't be persuaded. Don't go back uh, into uh, Judaism. I think we can summarize his appeal uh, in the early verses under the heading, don't leave Christ's freedom. And in the uh, latter verses, don't leave Christ's apostles. Those are our two main reflections in this text then. First, considering verses 8 through 10, or maybe 8 through 11, don't leave Christ's freedom. And this is, if you think about this, this, is a rather odd argument that he's using here, uh, rather striking. He's saying, basically, you were pagans, right? And you agree that the things that you were worshipped were not gods. Matter of fact, you were led into a type of slavery, were you not? And they say, yes, we were. And then he, he turns it back on them and says, now, if you're going back into Judaism, you're, you're going back into the same slavery, he turns their own past against them, as it were. How can you possibly do that? Paul here references the, this, uh, the elements of the world, the stoichea to cosmo, and he, which he had mentioned, obviously, earlier in verse 3. Leaving aside the details of debates concerning that, I, we think his main, is his main point not clear? Look at verse 10. If you get involved with the Jewish calendar, if you get involved with the festivals, if you can involve with the jubilee years, if you can involve with the whole system of observances, it is the highway to bondage once again. Is that not his, his main point? Paganism has its holy days, its ways. Judaism has its holy days and its ways. And to get involved with the latter is as enslaving as the former. Paul is is warning them against, shall we say, the Mosaic system. The question of whether Christians should worship on the Lord's Day, the questions of whether Christians should take a day of rest, this, this, these are separate questions from what Paul is addressing here. Those are questions related to New Testament practice, questions related in, in creation needs and arrangements. So that, that's not uh, what, what's on the table here. If I can put it perhaps overly bluntly, Paul is warning them against Moses. This, this temporary parenthesis, this whole mosaic system is, as it were, a period of tutelage, a period of minority until God's people were to reach adulthood. The emperor um, Claudius was uh, ruling at approximately the time of this, uh, of this letter. Claudius complains, when he was a boy, Claudius complained about the guardian that he was given. His guardian was, in Claudius's mind, a person who, whose only job was to beat him for the slightest infraction of any rule. 
he really hated his guardian. He found his guardian oppressive. And it seems that here Paul is warning them similarly against Moses. You're returning to a kind of bondage if you go back to this Judaism. What's the great uh, point, uh, the great warning of Galatians as a whole? It's chapter 5, verse 1, is it not? For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So I think the main thrust of the warning here is clear. But the question is, now how do we apply this to ourselves then now, here as 21st century evangelical Christians? Would it not be appropriate to, to take this for us as well as a warning against Rome? Is that not appropriate? Every year in North America, there are thousands of evangelical Christians who jump into the arms of Romanism. Matter of fact, uh, some of the most painful experiences I had as a pastor in uh, Chicago were precisely, I'm ashamed to say, on this point. We had three people connected with our congregation jump into Romanism. Two of them, we could say, well, they weren't really integrated. We didn't get a chance much to disciple them. Okay. But one of them was a seminarian trained at a school very similar to Westminster. Now, we may say it was the federal vision and the new perspective on Paul, which he never shook, really, and that that may have led him astray, fine. But nevertheless, here is someone who had been exposed to the Reformed faith and had heard the gospel and knew the Bible and yet had, had, had taken the plunge, had gone into the arms of Rome. Now, if we are tempted that way, if you're tempted that way, maybe we should ask, or I might provocatively put it this way, why not, uh, why not go to the Eastern churches? Why not go to Eastern Orthodoxy? Surely there, there's older traditions than most of the medieval stuff that we have from Rome. Why not get connected with those, those older traditions, as it were, from the East? Or might I even dare suggest, if you want a connection with a, with a community of faith, with some people that have rootedness in uh, the patriarchs, if you want uh, uh, to, to be connected with a tradition that, that very much takes the sanctification of the whole of life seriously. Why not, why not Judaism? The prayer book is a beautiful thing. Most of everything in it is wonderful. Why? The Hebrew language alone. Right? I mean, there's many attractions to, uh, in terms of tradition. We as Americans, we're, we're, we, we seem very rootless. We want to get connected with tradition, right? Why not Judaism? Why not Judaism? Why not become a Jew? Now, the requirement to specifically renounce Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah, which would be which would be required of you. Let's say that that's too much for someone. And they're still considering Rome, right, as, as a way of getting in touch with uh, more tradition, as it were. And uh, people may say, well, what, what, should, what number shall I put on it? 80% of what they teach is the same as we have in our Reform confessions? Is that not enough of an argument? Why not Rome? Why not uh, jump into bed with the Pope, as it were. But let's think, what's at stake? What, what, is, what is at stake in this, in this debate? What, what, when, when, when the Pope himself split the Western church, the already split church, when he split it 
in the, seven, in the uh, 16th century. What was at stake there? What was at stake was your standing before God. What was at stake is how you, knowing you're a sinner, how you can stand innocent and acceptable before God. That's at stake. Is that a small matter? What's at stake, ultimately, is the, the sufficiency of Christ. If you add requirements to your salvation based on yourself, you're taking away from the sufficiency of Christ, his work, his completed work as your mediator, the one who's done all necessary to reconcile you to God, even as we sang, did we not, in Psalm 32 just now. It's he who does the work. He's the Savior, not us. Would you really base your justification on your sanctification in, in any way? I mean, is that, not, is that not a spiritual suicide? I know I'm putting it in, in bold and broad sweeps here, but that, is that not at stake? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? It gives no hope. I met uh, one, uh, one lady. Uh, I mean, what, a, what a remarkable woman. And this woman is in Africa. She was a, a nun. She helped found the University of Asmara. I mean, she had a long string of achievements. And she had cancer and was dying. Some of you may have heard this already. But she had no assurance. Well, she couldn't have assurance in her system. It was not allowed. That's heretical, right? After such a long life, ah, uh, to die without assurance. Why would you want to go to that? Our text reminds us, don't leave Christ's freedom. And our text goes on to tell us, don't leave Christ's apostle. They're obviously very connected together. We are reformed. Not because we are Swiss or Dutch or European. Or what. We are reformed because we believe, we, we believe that in being reformed, we are in touch with, with the, the, the Christian faith as it's come down to us through the centuries. We believe in one holy Catholic church. One, but, but we believe that, that the, 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 the holiness of the church, the... Um, the, the, the Catholicity the, and the unity of the church depend on what? On the apostolicity of the church, right? It depends on, uh, on being connected with the teaching of the apostle. What is the apostle doing in, in the second half of our, of our text? He's drawing the people back to himself. Why? Because that's where the gospel is. You can't have the gospel if you reject Paul. And he pulls out the, all the emotional stops here to try to get these Galatians back to himself. In verses 12 through 15, he's talking about how things, how good things used to be. And then in 16 and following, how things had fallen apart, right? He was with them in, with, with some kind of a physical uh, uh, appearance that was degrading. It would tempt them to reject him as the world rejects people who, uh, who, are, uh, who appear uh, despicable, right? But now he's saying, have I, why have you shifted this 180 degrees? I have somehow become your enemy. Why? By telling you the truth? You've become like King Lear? You want to hear just what, what flatterers tell you? And you'll only realize too late that it's your one daughter who tells you the truth? Right? These, these, these Galatians have been, uh, they're tempted to turn aside. He takes the finger then in 17 and he points to these, um, to these false teachers. They have lowly desires. They're sectarian, and we all must beware a sectarian spirit to try to separate people for, for lowly purposes, to have a kind of a narrow, egotistical, proud spirit, self-engrossed. That's not, 
the spirit of a pastor, right? Paul is saying, I have your best interests at heart. I have become like you. I care for you, even as Christ cares for you. I've become uh, one of you. His argument seems to be something along the lines of, it's like this. I, though I was a Jew, I became like you without law. Now, why don't you, tempted to become Jews, why don't you become like me without law? Free. Free. Paul says that he was in the anguish of childbirth with, uh, over them. One of the members of our community was in the anguish of childbirth this past uh, week. And is, it, is, is, is Paul not breathing the spirit, as it were, of our Lord Jesus, even willing to put him, to use female imagery for himself here, right? Our Lord Jesus says of himself, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and yet you would not. Paul here says, I have your interests at heart. I'm willing to undergo whatever it takes for your welfare. Now, it's a sobering thing to say, and we're kind of short on time, so I won't expand too much, but that you, as uh, Christian leaders, then you participate in this suffering with the apostle, participating in Christ, as it were, in his sufferings, that you will experience, and you have experienced, this perplexity that he mentions at the end of our text, this fear that he mentions in verse uh, 17, you're afraid for people, this, this pain, and perhaps you will, uh, you, you will labor in vain for this or that person. That you'll, you'll pour out yourself and you'll not see Christ formed in them. In other words, you'll not see that blossoming of the Christian life in an outward way that you've wanted to see. Perhaps that will be your experience. Surely it will to one extent or another. Surely your goal and your method, as it were, so beautifully summarized in verse uh, 12, are the same as the apostles. Right? What is your goal? Your goal is to see, uh, to see people become Christians to see Christ formed in people, to see them free from the law and trusting in Christ. And your method then is what? To become like them. Whether you're a pastor in San Diego County or whether you're a Christian school teacher, whatever it is, what, you become like them. You, you consider their interests. You identify with them. Why? Because you want them to become like you as a believer, as one who's connected with Christ. Your aim, your method, even are as his. But let me close by drawing your attention to kind of an odd thing that he says in verse 9. How is it possible that there would be any spiritual progress in your life, in your people's life? Look at, look at where Paul's mind goes right away in verse 9. Right? He says, and we talk about people coming to know God. There he says, you've come to know God, fine. But then he says, or rather, you've come to what? To be known by God. Paul is acutely aware, everything depends on what? On grace. Everything depends on God's election, ultimately. It's God who does the knowing. What a wonderful verse Paul gives us in 2 Timothy 2.9, where he shows us the seen and the unseen side of ministry, as he says, the Lord knows those who are his election, the unseen side. And then he says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. That's the outward response, Right? Will Christ be formed in your people? And the answer is then, if, uh, Romans eleven two, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. God who loved us. God who sent Christ to suffer for us, to identify with us, to become one of us, 
to anguish for us, to bring us out of slavery. Will God cause us to be lost? No. God will complete his work in us, and Christ will be formed in us. And so, friends, let us, along with these tempted Galatians, let us not leave gospel freedom. Let us not leave Christ's freedom. And unto that end, let us never leave Christ's apostle, his teaching as we have it here in this book. Would you stand with me for a very brief word of prayer? Almighty God, again, we thank you for the freedom that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you cause us to understand this and the great cost that was paid by our Savior through identifying with us to achieve this freedom that we stand in. Lord, help us to see each one of us, whether legalism on this side or that, whatever it may be that tempts us, let us see it for what it is and forsake it and not be drawn out by it. Lord, have mercy on us as your churches. Reform us, renew us. Thank you, Lord, that we're connected with the faith uh, of the apostles and of the prophets of your people through the ages as we embrace Jesus Christ as he's offered to us in the gospel taught by your servant Paul. We thank you for that. And uh, we, we pray that you give us strength for the rest of our labors today. And we ask that you forgive us all our sins. For Christ's sake. Amen. You're dismissed. Copyright 2012, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.